0: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah
2: and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's going on, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the Sticks. Although I should say, Bucky not here this week. Last week, I was on vacation in Hawaii, and uh, Bucky held the fort down with uh, with Matt Money Smith, the new voice of the San Diego Chargers. Congratulations to Money. Uh, filled in for me last week, and then this week, Bucky's out. So I've got a couple a couple guests I'm going to have come on for the show today. I think you guys are going to enjoy it i uh, got Sean O'Hara, three-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champ, offensive lineman for the Browns and the Giants, and one of our one of our great analysts and a good friend of mine going to come in. We're going to chat about some teams we see rising to the top, little rags to riches stories in terms of some offenses and defenses that struggled last year that we see having a big turnaround this year. So it'll be a fun conversation with Sean. Stay tuned for that. And then uh, before we get to Sean, I'm going to have one of my good friends come on. I've been looking forward to this, Bob Welton. Uh, somebody I scouted with with the Cleveland Browns back in the day. Uh, spent about a decade in the NFL as a scout, and then he left to go to the college world. And uh, this is kind of an early an early birthday present for my man Sully here. So we got Bob Weldon, who is currently the director of player personnel for the Tennessee Volunteers. How about him? All their recruiting stuff since 2013. So I'm looking forward to bringing him in. Uh, personally, just kind of talk about some old times and then the difference between scouting high school players, college players, and really just trying to do something nice for my guy, Sully, here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thank
1: football. you, DJ. Appreciate it. Look out for you. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, I got to ask him about uh, his favorite shade of orange, switching from the Browns to, to Tennessee <laughs> Vols. A little bit different. Uh, some, some ties there, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to
0: put, put you on a uh, I'm going to put you on a pitch count. OK, uh, I'm going to say you get you. I'll give you two Josh Dobbs questions. Okay? Uh,
1: I wasn't even going to ask the Dobbs question. Really? Yeah, I was I was going to that... go more uh, AK Alvin. His favorite Alvin, well, well, Alvin story
0: tomorrow. I figured yeah, we got we can talk about the uh, the first round pick there to the Philadelphia Eagles, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, so got I forgot that guy's we got name. What was his talk. name?
1: Derek? Yeah, Derek? Something like that. Arnett yeah,
0: action. Okay. <laughs> so we get a chance to talk about him and, um, and and dig into some of these Tennessee players and really just kinda curious the difference between scouting college kids versus high school kids. I mean it's quite a projection when you're projecting, you know, a twenty year old, twenty two year old to the NFL. I can't imagine trying to project when they start recruiting these kids, sixteen year old kids.
1: And and how like, and how recruiting uh has, has changed over the past few years just with social media and, and that that I'm sure he's got a, a lot of in depth knowledge about the evolvement of recruiting and, and and how it's just booming <laughs> it's yeah. uh with all the different camps of course bucky's involved within them as well so that that'll be fun
0: with bob one thing real quick before we get him on uh big news today was uh, bob stoops stepping down and uh, really i guess retiring not resigning um from the university of oklahoma lincoln riley's going to take over for him i believe he's like 33 years old really right. offensive mind so big big shakeup there in the college football world i've always heard uh, Stoops' name kicked around a bunch with NFL jobs, and he's turned them down and hasn't shown much interest. But I wonder now, he's 56 years old. Maybe he takes a year or two off and kind of recharges his batteries. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if he decided to get back into coaching if it wasn't at the NFL level instead of the college level.
1: No doubt about it. I think uh, hes he's got a lot of years left. I mean, Like you said, he's in his mid-50s. Um, normally don't see a guy step down that early. Uh, it, it It's... <laughs> Kind of, kind of interesting uh, to see over the next couple of days if there's, there's a, a backstory to that coming out of Norman, because yeah. it, it is, it is way too early for him. He's got I so remember, much though, meat was, on the bones. I was, I was driving. I listened to a Sirius eighty four,
0: the College Channel, a lot when I'm driving into work. I do too. Good channel. About a month or so ago, maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. I know one of them on there had mentioned that Stoops had bought a house in Chicago, hmm. um, and that kind of was like interesting. That's weird. He just bought a house in Chicago. I mean, I so the wheels of-
1: started turning
0: yeah so it was like, okay, maybe this has been in the works for a while and um uh, at this point in time, you know if you wanted to hand the thing off to your guy and Lincoln Riley, there's no time for them to go through a entire search right uh so it, it's a it's a nice did a solid for Lincoln Riley, in my opinion, uh, with the timing of the whole deal
1: the exactly that that's the the only way to get it to to guarantee a handoff to your guys is the middle of June. like what <laughs> what what yeah. what is Oklahoma supposed Georgia to do? do but Nothing now, but, I, but they did say, "Hey, no interim
0: tag. He's the guy." Yeah. Uh, so it'll be fun to watch what they do there at Oklahoma. They've kind of owned the Big Twelve. Fun. I think he's won ten of the twenty championships since he's been there. Unreal. Was...
1: Speaking of championships, fun stat that's rolling around: only four active head coaches now left. Uh, and that is this a stat from title. our guy
0: Kent? This is a Kent stat. I no, mean, this I this has just been
1: flying around on Twitter. Uh, for, I saw Kent blast this out. I though. think Kent Kent probably did blast this out, but it's Saban Meyer. Uh, I think Saban's got five, Meyer four, and and Jimbo and Dabo with uh, I think crazy, one apiece. Huh? That's that's wild.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy. Well, the guys all moved on to the NFL, or they're or they're out of coaching right now. Exactly. So, pretty crazy. All right, let's uh, let's uh, let's bring in our guy Bob Welton here. All right, well here he is, Bob Welton uh, joining us here, old friend Bob. Let me get this. I want to make sure I got it right now. Uh, nine years with the Browns, although I would imagine it felt like 95 years uh, with the Browns <laughs> before you got to Tennessee in 2013. How long ago does that seem?
2: It seems a long time ago, DJ, that you and I were sitting in a room watching players together.
0: I know. Time, time, uh, time does definitely fly. It is was nine years though, right? Is that right? You were there nine years.
2: Yeah, I was there nine years, and I've been here four, so it's actually thirteen years ago. So, jeez, yeah, holy I cow! So, for the
0: f- explain to the folks what you did when you got there, you were you started out doing the Blesto stuff, right? So, just kind of explain yep, to the what the that is.
2: Scout. Yeah, you know that's really the, the the NFL now. I don't know if it's split even or by thirds. There's you know, obviously you have national scouting and Blesto and. My real job was that my number one job for Blesto was I. I actually got paid by the Browns, but they put me in with Blesto, which they belong to the service. So I go out in my area and for the next draft class. So while everybody else was kind of working on the current draft in in March and April, I was out looking at next year's class. And then the teams that uh, subscribe to the Blesto service, then they get all my information to help their scouts know in that area where to go, where not to go, plan your schedule. You know, I can't, I think it's still the same, uh, Daniel, you know, ABC schools, yeah. you know, you kind of depending on the prospects and that changes from year to year, but it just gives the schools, i mean, sorry, the, the teams that are in that system a little bit of easier uh, idea of where to go the next fall. And you get all that information in May, and you can kind of work all summer on it if you want, and kind of plan your schedule out off the information that I gave them. Then also, the other big part of it was the background information that I would get. So that would help kind of form what your thoughts are on that players you went in. And then obviously really in the fall, which just happened quite a bit, you might have a kid pop up at, you know, McNeese State that nobody knew about. And that was my mm-hmm. job to go in and get all the information and make sure all the teams got that. So I did that for a full year before getting in the area and, and joining you in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, then you, then, you, then you put in seven long years. Uh... Uh, part of that staff there you know grinding away how was it the challenge look I was there for two years we had the one year we were 10 and six the next year I believe was four and 12 and then I was gone uh, but the uh, just the challenge of being away from the team being on the road when when the team is struggling I tried to explain to a lot of people you know to listen to this how it can be a thankless job, but man, it's even it is even harder when the team is struggling. I imagine you had uh, as I did that second year, there's some long lonely nights in hotel rooms across the country.
2: There is, and it's always the worst going into a school on Monday or Tuesday and you off a loss. You know, and you're with scout you're in a room with scouts at all one. <laughs> <laughs> that unfortunately happened a lot, DJ. And that was probably the worst part of it. But you know, it was really you are disconnected and that's something that's you know, that's part of the job that I don't think people you know, they hear the NFL and and you're a scout, it's a great job, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. But it is, a, you're out on your own a lot. You know, you eat a lot of meals alone, um, you travel alone. Uh, I watched, you know, 90% of the games in those years I was there in a BW3s or, or somewhere, you know, or a Dave & Buster's yeah. <laughs> or somewhere. I wasn't at the, you know, I wasn't at those games. And Trust me, some, some days I was glad I wasn't. But, um, you know, that's the part of the job that really, for what I do now, I really enjoy now being connected to a team and that's really one of the big reasons I was looking to to do what I'm doing now is just have those relationships you're in an office you're around a team you're around kids you know that that's such a contrast for what I did for nine years but it's been a it's been a nice uh welcome surprise
0: well I want to get to Tennessee and what you got going on there in just a second but we've done it with all the guys we've had on the general managers different personnel guys We've asked for their favorite kind of road dog scouting story. We've had uh, from guys locking their keys in cars at a Virginia Tech game. Uh, Dimitrov came on and talked about riding around in his VW bug or in his VW bus uh, or van, I should say, and, and sleeping in that thing. Um, we've talked to Kime, I believe, talked about seeing the, the people up in the trees at Berkeley, which I know you got a chance to see that as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I did too. Yeah. Uh, but what's your favorite? What's your favorite road dog story from your nine years as a scout?
2: I would say Montana. Um, went to Montana for practice and I was going into school the next day. So I just showed up at, you know, five o'clock for practice, four o'clock to watch practice, and was going in the next day. Got done with practice, it was a beautiful day. And then, you know, Montana has that mountain there with an M. Oh yeah. You know, the big M block M on it. And there's a switchback trail that goes up and people are up there all the time. And I said, You know what? Instead of working out today, I'm gonna I'm gonna trail up to the top of the M. So I changed my clothes, get shorts, a t shirt, it's still like like mid-September I think it was so I go up go back you know take some great pictures up there great time come on back down go to get in my car I have no keys <laughs> you left him at the top of the mountain I'm hoping I wish it was that easy so I was like well I, I stopped at a few spots so I like I gotta be there yeah I had kind of shorts on and so I go back up asking everybody now this took me DJ it took you about 35 minutes to get to the top of this thing Mm -hmm. About 15 minutes down. So I'm going up asking everybody, have you seen keys? Have you seen keys? I get all the way at the top, check all all over the place. They're still not there. I start back down, okay? Don't see them anywhere, checking, double-checking. I get down. Now, (laughs) I had called a wrecker to come help me get in my car. Well, he sets off my car alarm. (laughs) He can't get in. This guy with all (laughs) these tools can't get in. So my car alarm's going off. And this guy across the parking says, hey, did you lose your keys? I said, oh, thank God. He's got my keys. I said, yes, sir. Thank you so much for my keys. Yeah, he goes, yeah, I left them at the top. Come on. (laughs) No. (laughs) I get up. So the record, this is the great thing. The record guy that's helping to turn my car alarm on, he goes, okay, looks like you're all set. I'm out of here.
3: So he leaves. My car alarm is still going
2: off. Now it's about 8 o'clock. So it's getting dark. So I hustle up to the top. Keys are sitting right there where he said. I grab, I'm coming, all I can see in the parking lot are my headlights flicking from my car alarm still going off. I'm like, all right, I'm either going to get eaten by a bear or my car is going to die and I can't go anywhere. So the best part of it, so I finally get in the car and I'm shaking so bad because it's so cold at this point. I can't drive. Turn the heater on, just trying to get warm. I call the pro-lays on it and the tan that I was going next day said, listen, here's what happened. I'll explain it in the morning. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep in. I'll be in about 10. Well, I come in the next day, and by, by noon, I probably had 12 calls from scouts making fun of me because he, the guy in Montana, told everybody.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you won't hear the end of that.
2: No, so the heck, every, I still get two or three pictures from that M every fall when uh, some, some scouts are there. So. <laughs> oh, that,
0: that is beautiful. That was oh man, I've, yeah, Trust me, I've been there. I've stared at that M. I never, ever in my wildest <laughs> dreams had any desire to go up and, and, uh, and visit it. Now I'm happy that I didn't. <laughs> Uh, yeah. That's that's a hall of fame. That's a hall of fame story, and That's nicely done. Uh, hey, you get to the the volunteers. For those who don't know, a director of player personnel for a college program. A. When did this position kind of become vogue in vogue in, in college football? And then explain to people what you do.
2: Yeah, I think you know. Right when I was getting into it, a couple of schools had had it, so that had been you know, what is
0: it twenty you know twenty thirteen
2: twenty fourteen. It probably started doing. I think Alabama was one of the first ones to have one. Um, you know, I think that's what Ed did it, Ed Manowitz was doing there kind of thing. Um, and then what I do basically on a daily, I think every school is a little different, what they ask that person to do. Um, but in general, you're overseeing the whole recruiting department and it's a school like any sec school. That's a, you know, that's a lot of employees. That's a big job. Give us a, give us a feel
0: for like how many people you have working in, in recruiting,
2: not coaches, um, not coaches. Yeah. And five and full time guys, you know, five to six, I would say, and then you get student workers. You know you have a, you know quite a few of those, and then you know you do have all the coaches because you're having to deal with them, and it's not mm-hmm. unlike being a, a director of college scouting for a pro team to be on. You know, a very similar in the fact that here's where you got to go. You're you know this is when you got to go. You're trying to organize that. You're communicating with those coaches all the time, um, just like you would with scout. So you got that aspect aspect of it. But then, from out the other part is the roster management of your current team. You know, uh, scholarships. How many you're going to have next year? you know, how many running backs you need to take in, you know, two years from now. It's kind of a lot of that. You're forecasting kind of what the landscape is going to be and where your team's going to be two years, three years from now. So you can decide, okay, this in this class, we have to have three running backs. We have to have, you know, we're only going to take one tight end this year. We're good, you know. So that's a big part of it, um, of the job also. And then, you know, we do a great thing here, I think, to get our kids ready for the NFL. We have an NFL readiness program that I do. Just through the experiences of, of being in the NFL, and we look at it this way: it's a great way to, you know, coaches. Coaches are going to coach you, and they're going to tell you how to be great, and they're going to teach you how to be great in the NFL on the field. But not a lot of people, DJ, like you and I have. We've seen behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, so we know what questions are going to get asked. We know what a scout looks for at a pro day. We know, you know, who they're going to talk to when they come into the school, and and stuff like that. That you can really educate these guys. What you know, that we take them through a, a combine interview, which is. You know bizarre it can be as bizarre as you'll ever see and and things like that, even how to dress and you know just you know trying to take it through the eyes of a personnel person of what they're looking for, so I think that's been a big benefit for our kids, and I enjoy doing that of course it keeps me you know involved in that and then you know I think just the relationships that that I can have with the nFL people you know for nine years working with them side by side and um, you know I think they know I'll shoot them straight, and I know if I need help on a kid and they're going to shoot me straight so it's been fun. Um, and like I said, the great part of it is you're, you're, you're involved in on a daily basis. And, and, um, I'm actually on
0: the field during games and not at a bw <laughs> So <laughs> You get to experience. So, so like the Hail Mary at the, at the Georgia last year, right? That, that you were down there for that one.
2: Yeah. But I got to admit, I was on the way to the locker room, but. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd, already, you'd already left. Nice. Yeah. I was, I was, I was one foot in the locker room, but yeah, I did see it.
0: <laughs> that is phenomenal. Um, <laughs> From the recruiting standpoint, I've always been curious about this. When when do the kids first get on your radar? Um, really, a uh, majority is sophomores, I would say,
2: Daniel. Okay. That's probably if you had a look at the big picture. Of course, you're going to sprinkle in some freshmen, but I'd say as sophomores you're really starting to to put the, put a good list together, you know, of your area. And it's just like in just like in, in, in uh, scouting, you know, our coaches all have an area. You know, mm-hmm. so they are kind of combing their area, and they're coming up with these names of the younger kids, and then we get to work on you know putting their profile together, so I would say, yeah, as a sophomore, I say
0: the majority of them wow and then and then how much difference can you see from a kid that maybe you you're you're trying to project where they're gonna go and maybe you get in on a kid early like that, and then how much different can I just think about just my own kids, my kid's going to be a sophomore next year and i just think about how much different she's going to you know look and develop mm-hmm. from now till 2 years from now be a totally different different athlete. So i mean what's the challenge then to, to to stay on track with these kids and maybe drop some off while picking up some others.
2: It's everything's a projection. I mean every single kid you look at is a projection at that age cuz you know you don't know and some kids are you know some kids are young sophomores some are old sophomores which makes a difference. You know, it could be a year and you're really trying to you know we spend a lot of time on what looking at a kid that's a young kid even seniors kids are hard they change but really mm-hmm. what what features do they have what attributes do they have that won't change you know if they're fast they're probably going to stay fast you mm-hmm. know if they have 33 and a half inch arms they're going to have 33 an inch high, you know which that's yeah. probably going to lead a pretty big kid if they got big feet you know <laughs> if the yeah. kid's a quarterback and if he's just got a, at that level he's got a strong arm you know he's probably going to continue as he gets stronger to have a strong you know so it's you try to focus on those things you can you can kind of see and they they won't go away no matter if the kid how you know how much he grows or how much he doesn't grow you can always count on that um, that's probably the biggest challenge now you know again it's just you know if any you, you kind of get into you know the character of the kid and you know how much harder is that how much harder
0: is that on the background information with high school kids as opposed to college kids.
2: It's it's probably the biggest difference, DJ.
0: To be honest with you, it's probably the hardest thing I think you have to
2: come across because when these coaches go out, I've always said this about high school versus college athletes. In high school, it's limitless, it's endless, the amount of kids you have to look at. You know, there's Mm -hmm. always kids popping up. At least in college, you know, you have schools you go to, and that's it. So that's the hardest part. So these coaches go out on the road, and they're only allowed out twice a year. They got to, they may have to hit six schools in a day. Well, they're not getting, you know, you're really only going to talk to the the high school coach. And so the biggest thing for us is to get kids on campus as much yeah. as possible. Because then everybody's around, you know, I can't go on the road, you know, and see kids. So that's my only chance to see them is you get them to camp, you give them to campus as many times. And then you can really kind of get around them, you're around the parents. And you try to do as much as you can when you have them to try to figure all that out. But it's so it's so on cool.
0: average, on average, say, let's just say throw out a number, say 25, right? You sign 25 kids. On average, since you've been there, how many of those 25 would you say you're able to get on campus to see them, you know, in terms of getting them in on campus for a camp? It's getting
2: a little easier, especially if, you know,
0: we try not to go too far out of our, our area.
2: You know, you, know, we are, you know, the basis is kind of a six-hour area radius of mm-hmm. kids. Now, Tennessee you can go to California and pick a few kids and, and go to Texas. You know, we can do that, you know, fortunately, but we don't make a habit of it. We're going to mm-hmm. make our living in Tennessee, you know, Georgia, Florida, you know, North Carolina. So because of that, we'll get kids on. I bet an average, if we sent you, are talking about those 25 kids, I bet yeah. they average, I bet the average coming on campus four times. Yeah.
0: Wow. You know, probably on an average. That's crazy. Um, tell us about, uh, about Barnett. You remember going, were you there through that recruiting process?
2: Yep. yep, we were, yep. So what'd
0: you see in him? What'd you know you were getting out of him?
2: What you, you know, I talk about those things that you knew wouldn't go away. He was always the toughest guy in the field. Um, when you met him in person, there wasn't a more serious, uh, kind of ornery kid that you ever met. Not in a bad mm-hmm. way, but the kid just had a chip on his shoulder, you know, and he had a feeling that wouldn't go away. So you knew he was driven. You knew he was tough. Now, again, he kind of looked like he does now in high school, to be honest with you. You know, yeah. when he was 260 pounds. We really thought, to be honest with you, we thought he would grow into a D tackle. Really. And he just, yeah, we really did. We thought he would be that with his toughness. We thought he'd be a good fit for him, but... You know, he kind of kept his body kind of, his weight kind of always stayed around 268. Obviously, he was very productive. But the thing about Derek Barnett that, you know, really it was us and Vanderbilt for, was in the recruiting battle for him. That was and, it, uh, huh? Yeah, we had well, we had to knock off a trip in Missouri that last weekend that we were worried okay. about. But <laughs> that was really it, to be honest with you. And so he came in with a chip on his shoulder. was not a mid-year kid, so he came in in June. About the first, about the second day in pads, he comes in, sticks a senior linebacker, I mean, he's on scout team, picks mm-hmm. him up, strips the ball, covers the ball, and we're like, yeah, that kid might have something. <laughs> 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 like the second, and then from that point on, and really the rest is history <laughs> because of what he did. You know, a kid's first, de- first defensive lineman to start in the history of this school as a freshman. Um, and, you know, he just he, he took it from there. And there's just, again, his motor and his toughness Never went away. I have, you know, I, and that chip on his shoulder never went away.
1: I have the same type of story. One of my buddies that played with him in high school. We were uh, it's his first game, his freshman year, and I was working on the video team. He's there right in front of us, and and he my buddy elbows me, elbows me in the shoulders, and he's like, "Watch this freshman kid!" And just during warm-ups. <laughs> it's like this guy is going to be special. You just knew. Yep. Derek Barnett scouting
0: you know? uh, freshman freshman in high school stories. Sully, that uh, way you come off the top. No, no, no fresh, freshman. That was in college. That was at Tennessee. Oh, that was at college. Oh, yeah, okay, that was I at Tennessee. Yeah, I got you. I got you. All right. Well, Sully but, had. A, yeah. I'm going to let Sully lob his Kamara. Yeah. Question, no. Oh,
1: yeah. I Kamara I got to say that a Alvin Kamara fan favorite. Just to let everybody know, he he just in such a short period of time. I've never seen a Tennessee fan base really just love a player like Alvin. What's right. what's your favorite Alvin Kamara story? Because I know Saints fans are going to love this guy.
2: Yeah, they will. The the best thing about Elvin, I would say, is that nothing really bothers Elvin. You know, he's just the same kid all the time. And he comes across, you meet him as this laid-back kid, but then you put the ball in his hand or you ask him to he really can do anything. And he's probably one of the better – I mean, he's got a great arm. I mean, our quarterbacks would stand all the time after practice and try to hit the goalpost, you know, from like the 50. Elvin would just come up pick the hand and do it on the first one. You know, know, the kid always – He's just got that kind of way of stepping up big whenever he needs to. Um and he's so laid back, but you know, he's just uh he just came in with you know, especially his background, you know, you're a big shot at Alabama, then you gotta go to JUCO, which is, you know, always tough to do, especially for that path. And then to come here and you gotta realize this about Elvin. He's here a year and he gets named the captain. And I think that said everything about Elvin. Um and he's you know, again, he's the same kid every day. Nothing bothers him, you know. He was really the backup to, to the other kid for a while, was fine. He knew I was going to get my touches and make my yards and, and, and score touchdowns. I'm good. And he was just a good teammate that way. And, you know, um, same thing, too, as a punt returner. There's there's some argument he might have been the best punt returner in the country. But we had Cam Sutton, who was the best punt returner in the country.
1: Right. And, and so he
2: just kind of waited his turn. He'd get one or two a game. and. You know, again, he's just a team-first guy, and uh, I think that's what the, our kids, even, you know, liked about him. Is he wasn't there was no big time to him, and um, he's a talented, talented
0: kid. All right, well, I, there's there's a bunch of other guys you had to get drafted here. First of all, I, I need to I need to know what what how did it resonate inside the building? I don't know if anybody was watching the year before when uh, when we all gave Charles Davis such a hard time about the University of Tennessee not having any draftable players. Was that uh, was that referenced at all inside the yeah, volunteer that, football program? Oh yeah.
2: Yep, we we, watch, we keep a close eye on Charles. And, uh, yeah, that was that was rough. That's why that's why DJ. I'll be honest, with you, I watched I watched I watched every round this year.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, you wanted you wanted to soak it. it all in. Yep, I soaked it all in for Charles. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was so happy, and he's such a classy guy. He wasn't really giving it back to me as probably as much as he should, uh, as hard as I was. For those that don't know, after uh, last year, the Minnesota Vikings selected Moritz Böhringer from Germany um and so after he was picked i told charles on on our on air during the draft i said wow germany's had more players picked than tennessee and uh so we, all, we got a laugh charles took it took it like a man and then this year they came back and all these volunteers got drafted and he just sat back and smiled he didn't even throw it back at me and i think you guys are in a situation now that you guys you and butch have been there for a while and this group's been there for a while and developing these kids that i don't know that we'll see another year without a tennessee player drafted for quite some time I certainly hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! By the way, the last thing before I let you go, uh, selfishly, was there? Uh, did Appalachian State put a legitimate scare into you guys last year?
2: Yeah, I was scared going in, to be honest, because I, you know, scouting those, you knew how tough they were. and those are teams that are tough to open up with, and uh, absolutely, I mean, my word, it was one of those things you never, you always, you always kept going through the games, saying, so you know, we'll, in the end, we'll end up beating them by three touchdowns."
0: You know, we'll get that. Yeah, yeah. and they just hung in there. Tough kids. Um, I was, I was, yeah. I was upset because you guys, you, you know, I thought we we had a chance to lay in the weeds with Miami coming to Boone, which is still baffles me that they got Miami to come up there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that we could have a chance. But then after we, we we take you guys to overtime, then uh, then Miami we weren't uh, we weren't sneaking up on them, and they beat the brakes off us the uh, the following or a couple weeks later. No, there
2: was many many times during that App State game. I'm still wishing Daniel Jeremiah was the quarterback at App State. <laughs> take lame over
1: uh, over DJ. Yeah. Play.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Hey, but, uh, give us a name. Give us one name. Give us one senior if you can for next year for for folks NFL fans that are watching the Volunteers next year. Uh, somebody that we need to keep an eye on
2: well senior wise it's a little hard because we had three great ones leave yeah um, you know our seniors next year really are kind of the, the steady eddies you know we got you know jay sean robertson who's been a four-year starter at the university of tennessee at guard garden mm-hmm. center you know he'll be a you know again a, again not one the fans watch much during the game but he's a he's just a good good football player and i do think we have the best
1: punter in trevor daniel in the country Nice. Um, I know that doesn't get fans. Threw, he threw down a three sixty <laughs> dunk. The guy's an athlete.
2: <laughs> he is. He is unbelievable, and I really think he's one of the best in the country. And then our young kids are, are what you know. We'll have another class of juniors that we'll have to obviously we'll have yeah. to make some decisions. You know, which is really, let's face it, it's what you how, how you want it every year.
0: No question. You know, no here, question. You know, who's who's the. So not not that I, we're not encouraging any of these young kids. I hope they stay at Tennessee forever. But just in terms for me, is there, is there one or two juniors that would be fun for me, just enjoyable scouting, just something for me to watch over the summer? Can you give me a couple names? Yeah,
2: you know, yeah. I think you know, it starts with our linebacker, Darren Kirkland. Unfortunately, last year he had a huge, huge injury in the Virginia Tech game and missed the bulk of the season. That was part of our struggles on defense. So he's such a catalyst for us. But if you watch our bowl game where he, when he was finally healthy, and you know if you were a scout and just watching the the first two games in that one I think you would like what you see. And if he stays healthy this year, you know, he should have a great year for us. And of course, okay. you know, Khalil McKenzie's always a kid you're going to talk about because of his just he's a freakishly athletic kid for his size, you know. That's no Reggie happens. Reggie McKenzie's kid, right? Yep. And true, you know, true true zero noses are hard fine, you know, and I think that's a kid that could have, you know, he's had a good career. Um unfortunately for him sometimes, you know, this goes as. He, he's having a great play when he's because he's getting blocked by three people, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you know, but as a scout, you look at him from a scout's eyes. You know, you see he does a lot, does so many good things, and so those. And then Juwan Jennings, I think, our receiver, who's had a knack yeah. for just some heroics over his career, short career so far, but you know, Juwan's got a. He's kind of got that Derek Barnett to him as far as mm-hmm. just the toughness and a competitiveness that you just can't. You know, it's hard to match on Saturdays, and so you know, there's
0: just a few names there that I think are.
2: That's great. You know, some
0: guys going to have really good years. i put them on the list, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking some time out over the summer here. I know you're hopefully getting a little bit of downtime here before everything really cranks up. Everybody's back on campus. You guys are rolling, but uh I wish the balls the best of luck uh, this next year and, and I know charles Davis will be' he'll be happy <laughs> to know that we brought uh, we, we brought Mr. Vall on Bob welton here to discuss uh, <laughs> discuss the guys. man, hey, thanks a lot for your time, Bob
2: hey d j anytime, man, good good talking to you, my friend, and uh, uh
0: hopefully talk soon. All right, great to chat with, uh, with Bob Welton there, getting a little Tennessee ball uh, information. I know, Sally you love that. But now I'm excited to bring in a good friend here, Sean O'Hara. Uh, I like to do a proper introduction. He's three-time Pro Bowl or Super Bowl champ. Sean, starting 135 games over your career. I want to start with, the, with, this, with this first question for you. Um, I looked it up. Joe Thomas, 160 straight starts, which is ridiculous. But then I looked at Bruce Matthews had 244 straight starts. Is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard as an
3: offensive lineman? Oh, that, That's insane. Bruce should be bottling and selling his blood. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because everybody made a big deal about Brett Favre's record. Uh, you know, Eli's got a pretty good streak right now. Uh, I've kind of put quarterbacks in their own category. So, yeah, for an offensive lineman, And Bruce played it all. I mean, he moved over to center. You know, he was a guard. I think he played tackle, too. Um, So, you know, he did it all. It's unbelievable. And here's the craziest part, too. I know a couple guys that have played with him. They said they never saw him with an ice bag.
1: Bruce never had an ice bag?
3: He's unbelievable. Like, yeah, he he never wore an ice bag, never iced anything, nothing. Guy's just a machine. Like, like
0: to explain that to people at home that don't understand. As an offensive lineman in the NFL, describe your week. You, you finish up, you play a Sunday afternoon game. Like, how is your body feeling on a Monday and a Tuesday?
3: Yeah, well, my first question would be, what's the service we're playing on? You know, because <laughs> if we're playing on natural grass, I'm going to feel 10 times better than if we played on turf. Now, mm-hmm. the field turf that guys play on now and that I played on is 10 times better than that artificial turf that Bruce Matthews was playing on. And the stuff that you probably played on when you, you – Oh, that's what wearing. I played on in
0: college. That was our home field was that hard turf that it would freeze over.
3: Yeah, oh, man, it's terrible. And, you know, it would your joints would – you know, the, that, that turf would grab your foot even if you were wearing a flat-soled shoe. Uh, so, you know, the surface is a big factor, um, you know, especially for offensive linemen because, you know, no matter how athletic you are at some point, you're going to end up on the ground. You know, for me it was when I was pancaking guys – you know, but for some guys, it's, you know, for other reasons. They may fall down or trip or, or get beat. But <laughs> for those mortals? You're going to get dirt and grass stains on you at some point. Um, no question. So, that you know, Sunday, like as I got older, DJ, you know, Mondays, um, you know, I always tried to come in Monday after a game and get a good workout in just because you want to get the sweat and the soreness out of you. Um, you know, plus, um, you know, I was, I was a total guy. And so I, I would get a shot at Toradol uh, on game day. And, you know, as part of that would still be in me on Monday. So I got a good workout in with that still in my body. I felt like I could work out a little bit harder um, and, and, you know, the soreness wasn't as bad. But, you know, as as I got in my 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth, and 10th later on in, in my career, Tuesdays were the worst days. Mm-hmm. You know, Monday you would start to feel a little bit of soreness, but Tuesday, sometimes even Monday night, depending on how many snaps we had, You know, you typically average about 65 plays in a game. Offensive linemen take every single snap. It's not like running backs who maybe took 30 snaps or receivers who are alternating or D-linemen who switch. So you feel every one of those snaps. And there were a number of times where I'd go out to dinner with my wife on Monday night, you know, or with a group of people, and you sit down at the dinner table, you're feeling good, you know, the the wine's flowing, the beer's flowing, and you feel good, and then all of a sudden it's time to get up, and you can't get out of your chair because – Everything is worn off. The soreness is there. And, um, you know, even in my last couple of years, I was sore on Wednesdays. Uh, It really wasn't until Thursday that I actually started feeling fresh. Golly. That's what's so nuts about that. When I
0: see 244 straight starts, I don't think Joe – by the way, Joe Thomas, I don't think has missed a snap yet, has he? No. he's like – And
3: you almost have to double it for him because how many of those games was he actually even in, you know, when you're – I mean, uh, how, been, my question is: How do
0: How does your shoe never pop off? Or you, you, you know, you got your helmet comes off. You got to come out. How has he not ne- not come out for yeah. a single play? No, it, it, that's.
3: I mean, it's like did Brickershaw Ferguson when he retired, and they said, "Look, he he missed one snap out of his entire career, and it was at the end of the game, and they put in Darrell Revis in his place so they could try that last-ditch ever play." Um, it, it's remarkable. I mean, uh, you know, your chin strap breaks. Your, you you know, you get poked in the eye. You know, you, like you said, your shoe comes off. Um, that, that's, it, it's it's really remarkable.
0: All right. Here's, here's what I wanted to get to with you today, uh, Why I wanted to bring you on. I wanted to look at some, some categories from last year where teams finished in the bottom five in the league. And then based off of what they've done in the off season, free agency, the draft, and really getting some guys back healthy uh, is a big factor, as well as some coaching changes. I thought we maybe could try and Pluck some of these teams out of the bottom five that we think may be able to, to to leap all the way up into the to the top ten in the league, or at least make a drastic improvement from last year. So uh, I'll read off the teams and the categories, and just see if there's a team that jumps out to you that you think could make a make a push here. Last year, rushing offense, uh, the last five, the bottom five teams: the Ravens, the Giants, the Lions, the Rams, the Vikings. Uh, any of those teams? Is there a team in particular you think could see making a major improvement in the run game?
3: Yeah, I think the, the last two that you mentioned are going to be really interesting to watch. Obviously, with Minnesota, um, you know they, they've they've added two really good running backs. I know that losing Adrian Peterson is huge, but um, you know you can't replace Adrian Peterson in his prime with one guy. So they know that they, they try to do it two guys. They got Latavius Murray from Oakland, who kind of looks a little bit like Adrian, and drafted Dalvin Cook. Uh, so I think that's a pretty remarkable one-two punch. Uh, provided Dalvin can pick up the offense, uh, I think coming out this in this year's draft, Dalvin was probably the most complete running back. Um, you know, obviously a lot of attention was paid to, to paid to Christian McCaffrey and how explosive and electric he was, and, and Fournette as well. Uh, but when you you know, I know you watched enough film on Dalvin Cook to see how many runs he made where he was bouncing off defenders and breaking mm-hmm. tackles it just seemed like every single game he'd have about five to seven of those of those runs so uh that'll be good to see I mean, the question obviously with minnesota and you mentioned the health part uh for them just getting guys healthy and, and they signed a couple of tackles um you know mike Remmers. and how um, do you like
0: that how do you like that pair by the way i am not a big Remmers guy but
3: yeah, I mean, I think the bad taste everybody has in their mouth is still from the Super Bowl. You know, him playing right tackle and, and yeah, you know, that's Vaughn Miller though getting yeah. beat. Um, yeah, I mean, Ron Miller makes makes a lot of guys look bad, but um, you know, he actually he moved over to left tackle a couple times last year for Carolina, and, and, he, and he played pretty well. Um, so you know, the, my big question for him is, you know, and, and I think it's um, Riley Reef. Um, yeah, how are, you know, are they going to play those guys? Up? By the way, will Reef Reef play on the left or the right? I think I think you got to put, put Reef in the left, and I think Remmers is more of a right tackle. Um, yeah. you know, here's the question with that offense: is if they're going to run that shotgun running game, you know, I, I don't think that benefits either one of those tackles, and I don't really know how much it benefits uh, Latavius Murray or Dalvin Cook. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why Adrian was okay getting out of there. Um, you know, that, that single back run out of, out of the shotgun position really limits you as a running back. You can't cut back. You know, you can mm-hmm. cut up. And you can press the hole a little bit, but when you're running that, the run, the run, running the football out of that shotgun home position to the left or right of the quarterback, kind of limits you. So uh, I'm curious to see Minnesota, but then the other team, um, that I'm pretty sure but you mentioned Rams. was the Rams. I'm really curious to see this offense with Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, moving Robinson in at guard, and then really just the Matt Lafleur effect. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt was was, was with Kyle in, in Atlanta, and, and I thought some of the things that Atlanta did in the run game last year were certainly overshadowed by the passing game. But the way that they attacked defenses, the different different running plays and running styles that they had, from a scheme to a zone concept to a little bit of trickery, I think that's going to pay some dividends for the Rams in that offense.
0: I think they did some things. Hopefully, in the passing game, you get a young quarterback that gets better. You bring over Robert Woods. The the early returns on Cooper Cup have been good. Um, Hopefully, they're creative enough to do something with Tavo and Austin. So, hopefully, that'll take some pressure off Gurley, too, and they can get him uh, cranked back up. But passing-wise, last year, bottom five teams – uh, by the way, I, I starred those two teams when I went through this as well, the Rams and the Vikings in the run game. But passing game, Browns. Yeah, I
3: think Gurley, just to throw something, you know, since I didn't say anything on Gurley, the one thing that jumped out at me last year looking at his runs, you know, uh, the funny thing is everybody looks at the run game and they look at the yards per carry, and it's like, man, right, if you had a down year, you only averaged, you know, three and a half yards per carry or four. The one thing that you end up missing with that a lot of times is the big runs. And mm-hmm. Gurley didn't have many big runs. You know, two years ago, he had a, he had a ton of runs over twenty yards, over fifteen yards. Last year, I think he had maybe you know ten or less uh, over fifteen to twenty yards. They never had that big run play, um, and I think that's that's something that we'll probably see more of from Gurley next year.
0: Yeah, hopefully they need it. They need it in a big way. Uh, so the bottom five passing teams. I mentioned the Browns. Uh, we've got the Texans, the Bills, the Rams, and the Niners. I I, I circled the Rams here. I just kind of mentioned those. Uh, improvements they made in the receiver position. Also, I was a big Gerald Everett fan, the kid they took out of the second round out of uh, out of South Alabama, who's a really, really good player. I think he's got a chance to be kind of a mismatch player. But really, coaching, I think, makes the biggest difference for them in the passing game. Are you with me on that one?
3: Yeah, and, and you mentioned some of the receiver additions that they added. You know, and maybe not some big splash guys, but guys that have ability after the catch. And, and I mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, that's, that's where you can really gain a lot, a lot of that yardage. Um, that, that'll probably boost the offense. You know, you mentioned Kaylon Austin kind of getting him on the right. run. Um, that should help. I mean, I think the 49ers are probably going to be better. And I don't think Brian Hoyer is going to average 340 yards a game. But I think they, they were dead they, last they,
0: last year. I mean, they, yeah, can't, they can't
3: go they, any worse. They were awful. I think the, 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 the sleeper team in that, to me, is really the Texans. I just look at the explosiveness they have at the wide receiver position with DeAndre Hopkins, with Braxton Miller, with Will Fuller. Um, I fully expect Deshaun Watson to be their starter. I know Tom Mm -hmm. You think week one? I I, I think he could start week one. Mm -hmm. And here's why. You know, you look at everything he did in his collegiate career. I think he lost three entire games in his whole career in college. Um, You know, he finds ways to win, and it's not just hey, I'm just out there making it up. You know, it's not just I'm going to scramble around and, you know, these Johnny Manziel-type highlight plays. You know, he's making big-time throws. They're always in big-time games. And he seems to step up and play the best when everything's on the line. But I look at Deshaun Watson. He's got all the physical tools. But everything. everybody that I've talked to about him, and I'm sure you've talked to, to a lot of people about him and, you know, you may have heard some of the same things, he gets it. And when I say he gets it, he gets it on so many levels. Mentally, when you hear him talk about a game, he can break down a throw he missed in the second quarter. Hey, you know what? We got a really favorable coverage here. He, his, the X and O's in his mind, it, he's not going to struggle with that. And I think Bill O'Brien, um, you know, he, the, the way that he's learned how to attack defenses from his time in New England and working with Brady and, and, the way that you know his mind works, I think he and Deshaun Watson are going to be a really good fit.
0: Yeah, look, I think it, I think we might see Tom Savage for a couple of weeks, but I don't think it'll be long. You're saying week one. I would say by week four, I think we probably end up seeing him um, for all the reasons that you mentioned there. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball here, Sean. This one kind of blew me away looking at sacks from last year. The bottom five in the league, a couple of these teams. Kansas City was 28th in sacks last year with all the dudes they got. The Jets, 27th. Uh, or sorry, the the Jets had 27 sacks last year. Uh, then you got the Browns, the Lions, and the Raiders um, in that group. I mean, it, man, I, the Jets that's a whole nother that's a whole nother discussion. But the Chiefs and the and the Browns with what they did in the draft and, and those guys, young guys kind of coming along. And I think even the Raiders, if you get a healthy Mario Edwards to kind of tag team what they have there with Khalil Mack and uh, and Bruce Irvin. Man, I was kind of surprised to see some of these teams down there. I'd expect uh, more than a couple of these teams to vault back up near the uh, top 10.
3: Yeah, I think the Raiders, you know, shoot with Bruce Irvin and Khalil Mack. You know, they could end up, um, you know, both having double digits. And 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 I think, you know, Khalil Mack obviously getting as much attention as he did last season. Um, you know, he'll, he'll see more of that, but he'll be more impactful. Um, I, I'm shocked to to hear that the Jets are that that low. They have no edge rushers. How many, oh, they had seven sacks in week one. Yeah. Um, well, they get know. many. They
0: they got how many after that? They got. Uh, tw- yeah. Twenty after that,
3: the rest it's, of the season. That, that, that's, I mean, there's no excuse for that. When you look at the talent that they have, I mean, Leonard Williams, Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson. Um, you know, they they love the five down defense too. So they're all getting one on one matchups. So that really tells you how bad that secondary was for the Jets, um, and it also tells you how bad the offense was because they weren't. It's getting you know, worse. They playing with a lead, you know, they, they they were they were playing four minute defense uh, for for a lot of the season so that's shocking yeah i'm shocked about the chiefs too because w- with with their pass rushers and, and with how good their defense has been and how aggressive they are um you know i would expect them to bounce back as well
0: yeah i'll be interested to see what happens there then overall scoring defense um with bottom five here jets chargers Browns, saints 49ers i identified the chargers i was kind of surprised they were that bad this this last year um but they had some injuries you get jason brett back Bosa and Ingram, I think, are about as good a edge pair as we have right now in the league. And then I think Gus Bradley bringing his his style and his uh, kind of aggressive nature. I think they've got bodies that plug in beautifully in the terms of, of how they play their front. I mean, I think you're going to see um, Evan Ingram will kind of stand up and, and be that uh, that elephant guy for him there. And you've got Bosa. You can move up and down the line of scrimmage. I know I talked to Bucky Brooks earlier today, and he had just visited with Gus Bradley, and he was pretty pumped up about uh about what he has to work with and how these guys fit in.
3: Yeah, I think that defense, I mean when they're they're very physical and, and anytime you'd watch film on, on that front, um, you know, you mentioned keeping uh, keeping Melvin. Um, you know, I think they tagged him. Uh you know, that was huge. You know, he plays such a big uh such a big role in that defense. You know, he can put rush with his hand in the dirt or standing up. Um, you know, both is such a big force. I think their offense, their additions to their offense are going to help their defense. The fact that they actually invested in, in some of the offensive line, that's going to help their run game. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon obviously had a a much better season last year, but I think that'll, you know, keep that defense fresh. And, um, you know, the other, one of the other teams you mentioned, we were just talking about the Jets, their scoring defense. Um, you know, I think that they're going to have a big bounce back here. I know everybody's focusing on the offense and the lack thereof. Um, But that defense with Todd Bowles and how aggressive he likes to be and them getting uh, Jamal Adams with a sixth pick, I mean, I think they're still tickled pink, the fact that they were able to get that guy um, and and put him into that defense.
0: It's going to be interesting to see how these teams kind of spin it around. San Francisco, uh, dead last in scoring defense last year, gave up 30 points a game. Uh, I think yeah, their I mean, offense controlling the clock a little bit more uh, could help them in that regard.
3: Well, and you know this too. Uh, you've been around football enough, DJ. W- w- when the defense knows you have no shot, they lose their will. And, and yeah. they just kind of, you know, the one thing that w- w- would happen, you know, I would do these O-line of the week awards, and every week I would start off with the top rushing offenses. Well, every week it was a 49er defense giving up the 20-yard games. <laughs> and, you know, when you look at the talent that they have, you know, with how many first-rounders they had, DeForest Buckner and, um, you know, Eric Armstead, um, you've got some talented guys. Now you add in Solomon Thomas, you add in uh, Ruben Foster, uh, put him next to Navarro Bowman, that defense is going to look completely different.
0: Uh, well. Makes you see how these teams spinning around, man. I appreciate you taking a little time out of your out of your schedule here. What 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 uh, what was I interrupting you from? Golf? What do you got? Dinner? What what, what did I keep you
3: from? Uh, no, actually, I just um I just went over to the Giants facility and uh, you know as part of the player development uh, program that that we have going on over there, uh, David Tyree is running the player engagement player development aspect, um, and uh, he asked me to come talk to some of the rookies. So I just had a chance to, to meet with all of them and and got to meet Evan Ingram and. And Dalvin Tomlinson and um, you know Davis Webb and I talked to some of those guys and just you know had a good opportunity to kind of just tell them what it's like to be a giant, uh, what's expected of them, and um, you know just kind of also welcome them to the family and and uh, you know give them a little advice.
0: I love that. Look at that, reaching out, to, reaching out to a, a former giant great, bringing him in there and letting you coach these guys up a little bit. What well, yeah, any, any first pretty- impressions from any of those guys?
3: Well, I'll tell you, you know, the, you, these guys are so young. You know, I don't know. Maybe it makes me just feel a little bit old, but seeing how young they are. But, um, yeah, nothing grabs the room like telling them that, hey, look, I made it as, an, as a walk-on at Rutgers and an undrafted free agent. I was able to play 11 years. You guys should be good. You could play 20. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. Brady wants to play when he's 55. Tell these guys to step it up. Let's
3: go. Yeah, Brady's got the uh, – he's found the fountain of youth. Um, you know, of course, playing quarterback helps
0: yeah there you go hey dude thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time out and, and jumping on here I'm hoping to set something up we're working on it we're efforting to get something put together with Sean where we can get Sean to come in on a weekly basis during the fall during the season and kind of give us a little O-line segment um, on Move the Sticks which would be fantastic dude but hey thanks yeah, for taking some time yeah. out today buddy
3: sounds good um, feel free to send some food my way as bribery I will take it
0: <laughs> I, I, know, I know how to get to your heart Oh, great conversation with Sean. Love Sean, one of my best friends here at the network. So hopefully we can get something done with him uh, joining us on a regular basis during the fall. Looking forward to having him back on the show. And thanks again to Bob Welton for jumping on. Uh, But now for the most important part of the podcast. Bucky's not here to help me out here, so I'm going to fly solo. But it's it's me, Andy's time. Uh, That's right. You guys need to elevate your game to the next level. And I'm talking underwear here. Ah, uh, that's me undies. Uh, what is me undies? Oh, just seriously soft, feel-good undies delivered right to your door. Uh, they're designed in LA, made from sustainably sourced. What are they made from, Sully? Micromodal. Micromodal. That's a fabric three times softer than cotton. Me undies, softer than soft, lux lux undies. Come in an ever-changing selection of classic colors, bold shades, and Bucky's favorite adventurous patterns. And so you can tailor your undies to your own personal style. I have them. They're the most comfortable underwear. That I own. Trust me, these things are big time. Guess what? You can save time and money each month with a monthly subscription. And if you're not ready for that subscription, that's okay. That's and you can save. Guess We have a MeUndies twenty percent off your first pair. And this is a special URL we have right
1: now, uh, Sully, This that's is right. A move the sticks. Move special. the sticks. Specific. Is it move is MeUndies.com/slash/move-the-sticks, uh, and your promo code is automatically applied. You can get a discount on your next pair of pizza underwear. Oh, we've got! I I love the uh, love the panda underwear. I'm telling you, these are the softest things you've
0: ever seen. Uh, Rhett Lewis, who's been on the podcast, is a uh, he's one of those guys that subscribes to MeUndies because he can't get enough. It's it's the best underwear going. So go ahead, revamp your underwear drawer. You deserve it. Once again, that's MeUndies.com/slash/move-the-sticks. Is that right, Sully? That's right. Twenty percent off. Twenty percent off your first pair. You won't regret it. And uh, we need to get more people signed up on Move the Sticks than around the NFL because I know these. These guys like to keep score. They uh
1: they do. They they're the ones that push for these personalized codes for that very reason. And uh, they might have a pretty big lead because their podcast yesterday. I know because I uh, I produced that that as well. Yeah, yeah and, that paints me. But go ahead. Right, right. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they uh, they put out a call a call to action. They they said at noon today Pacific time they needed they needed uh, all their listeners to go out and uh, simultaneously go. Order. Well, here's
0: where here's where I think the Move the Sticks podcast has an advantage. Okay, that's right. this is not scientific. Our listeners wear underwear. Okay, so that's what separates us from the <laughs> NFL podcast. So I think we're going to be able to beat them in this contest. Right, right. They... Now, if it was if we were you know talking about you know trying to sell toasters or some other gag gift, um, mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe around the NFL would have a shot, but uh, not not on this not on this subject. No, and our, it's. Our, are underwear connoisseurs and i think they're going to step up bigger. yeah
1: this is not the first pair of underwear they're, they they have been uh they will purchase yeah, no. so they, they yeah, know this what this is going to replace about. old
0: underwear this right. is not going to be a new addition to uh to a wardrobe which exactly. would be the case with all their listeners but anyways uh i think that's going to do it for us here today silly fun episode huh great episode great episode talking hoggies beefy. talking vols beefy it was fun all right. Hey, good job by you. Hopefully, we have uh, have Bucky back in the mix here soon, and we'll get back to rolling here. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for leaving those comments on iTunes. Appreciate you guys keeping those coming. Uh, we are having a lot of fun here in the off season, and I'm telling you, football is right around the corner. Uh, we've got you covered from now till then, and already coming up with some some fun ideas for the fall. I think you guys are going to appreciate. Uh, until then, uh, we'll see you next time.